Good morning, everybody. Happy uh, Thursday morning. Wow, Thursday morning. I hope your uh, early morning is going well to all you early risers out there. Sunny this morning, mix of sun and cloud this afternoon, high of three. Cloudy tonight, low minus six. So wet snow tomorrow to end the work week. Cloudy, high of five. Uh, sunny on Saturday, high 10. Sunny on Sunday, high 12. Not too shabby. Uh, for the weekend to enjoy a little bit of sunshine. It does not seem, uh, based on, and, you know, it's these can change, it does not seem that the uh, long-term forecast holds anything fantastic for us. You know, we might be getting up to uh, the 15s or so by the end of the week, uh, by the end of the month, rather, sorry. But uh, nothing, you know... Too too uh, significant. I mean, it's it is April. This April seems like it's been a little bit. Uh, I mean, pandemic aside, uh, the April this April seems like it's been uh, not not too bad. I know we had uh, some snow in London the other day. Didn't last long though. Had a little bit of a thunderstorm. But you know, we can have ice storms in April. We can have all sorts of uh, crazy weather. And so far, uh, we haven't had any of that. So hey. A little uh, little nugget of sunshine for your Thursday morning. Uh, we are so desperate for non-COVID-19 related stories that it's uh, nice to see some story come along that is not COVID-19. Uh, you That said, you do not want to see this story, which came along yesterday. A 19-year-old London man facing a charge of manslaughter in connection with a shooting death on Tuesday of a 16-year-old that happened at an apartment complex. 16-year-old was located inside an apartment with an apparent gunshot wound. It was pronounced dead shortly after. The, uh, the victim has been identified as Owen Nicholas Sireska. Sorry if I pronounced the last name incorrectly. The uh, 19-year-old was uh, known to the victim, was taken into custody, and has been charged with manslaughter. He was set to appear in court uh, yesterday in relation uh, to the charge, and a firearm has been recovered. It is an absolutely tragic story, one that uh, did not need to happen, but, uh, but here we are. Uh, speaking of uh, death, we've uh, passed the 1,000 mark in this country. For COVID-19, 1,010 is the uh, official uh, death uh, toll so far. That will be updated again today. We had just over 900 yesterday, so we had, uh, you know, about a 10% increase based on where we are right now, just in one day alone. And we'll see where we are with all of this. Uh, there's a lot of talk, and we'll get into it later on in the program. There's a lot of talk about... A, how and when we open the country up, uh, we, uh, how and when we lift some of these restrictions. There are other countries that are uh, starting uh, to do that in little bursts. United States is uh, looking at uh, when they can do that. The pro uh, sports leagues have been hoping against all hope that they can find a way against canceling their season and they can you know, find some sort of solution. It's all just, I think, too interconnected. And what we might see is even if some of these, uh, you know, these guidelines are relaxed, 
it could be a wave. So they're relaxed for a little bit and then they, they are tightened up again. So there's a lot of uh, give and take with all of this. There is, and this is something we'll get into, we'll see if we can get into it uh, for tomorrow, since we only have one more day in the work week, but if not tomorrow, then certainly as we go along for the rest of uh, next week, I want to get into some of the pandemic research that is going on right now for a vaccine. We've uh, discussed this on this station in the past uh, with, you know, Craig Needles, uh, Mike Stubbs and Jess Brady and their shows. And they've looked at, um, you know, what a vaccine looks like. There is, as with everything in this COVID story, you know, updates to that. And there's a real uh, there's a real push to get a vaccine as soon as possible. I was reading yesterday. There are some who believe it's possible to have something. Uh, ready to go for the public by December, which would be like, this is like lightning speed in terms of vaccine research and uh, getting it ready for public uh, use. I mean, you're, at, you, you're bringing up questions of, is it safe? Are we, are we risking other potential issues in the name of the vaccine? I want the vaccine as much as anybody. But we can't be reckless about it. So that's something I think worth the, worth diving into in a more fulsome way. So we will be doing that on the program. Russia is starting to see a, a spike in COVID-19 cases, which is nice to see from the standpoint of just stop pretending it's not happening in your country. Obviously, the Russian people uh, do not... Uh, deserve to get sick just the same as everyone else does not deserve to get sick but uh, the russian government is not exactly uh, always forthcoming with the truth similar to our friends in china and similar to our friends in iran as we saw at the beginning of the year when we had the uh, plane crash there are those countries out there less than uh, willing to share information and those countries should be held to account and just one little quick item girl guide cookies this is girl guide cookie season they are moving online. They are moving to uh, moving to more traditional uh, retailers to be able to uh, sell their cookies. And I have not had a Girl Guide cookie in a while, and I could uh, I could sure go for one. See if we can find one. So if you're looking for a Girl Guide uh, cookie, they uh, are still out there. They are still available. They're looking at uh, traditional uh, retailers now. They've moved uh, to uh, Canadian Tire to help sell their cookies. So if you're going to Canadian Tire to pick up something essential, you can pick up some Girl Guide cookies as well. If you want to find out a whole list of the retailers that are selling the cookies, you can go to 980cfpl.ca. You can also go to the Girl Guides of Canada website. They have a full list of retailers offering the cookies and where they can be found. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get into the show. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. We had an interesting day in terms of uh, reporting for the number of uh, cases in London, Middlesex for COVID-19. 
relatively quiet. I mean, the the sad uh, saddest part of it all was we had yet another death to report, but the overall number of confirmed cases rose by three. So the number of confirmed cases in London Middlesex is now 250. The number of total deaths is 12. Ten additional cases have been marked as resolved. According to the Middlesex London Health Unit, we now have a total of 118 resolved cases. The number of COVID-19 outbreaks in London and Middlesex remains at 12 as well. That's as of uh, Tuesday afternoon, the latest figures available, with all still listed as active. Nine of the outbreaks have been declared at local long-term care homes and retirement homes, where at least 46 of the area's cases have been reported. There have been, for the province, at least 98 outbreaks at uh, long-term care homes with at least uh, 834 residents and 453 staff confirming uh, positive. At least 144 residents have died. The province uh, was uh, going to unveil a uh, plan yesterday for, and they did, uh, for uh, long-term care homes in light of the outbreaks at uh, all these uh, facilities. Premier Doug Ford has uh, said he well he opened the door really to systemic changes to the long-term care system in Ontario. So it will be necessary to take a closer look at the cracks in the system as this crisis will give the province an opportunity to create higher standards. Ontario has issued a 14-day emergency order preventing long-term care staff from working at multiple homes. Health Minister Christine Elliott has acknowledged that some outbreaks in long-term care homes have been the result of staff who work in two or three facilities inadvertently bringing in the virus. Healthcare worker unions have long raised that issue, staying uh, staff often work at multiple facilities because they're unable to get full-time positions. Long-term care minister Mary Lee Fullerton says Ontario will be working with the federal government to address wages for those workers while they are prevented from working at more than one home. There should be provincial standards for long-term care homes there should be a national standard i mean some of what's happening in quebec is uh, you know just uh, appalling and with long-term care homes remember the uh, a couple of years ago there was that fire had a long-term care home that was uh, fatal uh, sprinklers weren't working like the amount of Inattention we have paid to long-term care homes is a blight on us all. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, advocate groups who have been raising these issues, and they get some attention, but they they don't get prolonged attention. Hopefully this changes that. There should be uh, better standards. It should not be that we have these private companies who just don't have employees work full-time and so they have to work at multiple facilities to make it up it should be one faci- one facility better pay there should not be sh- staff shortages at these facilities so i hope something uh, significant comes from this because uh, what has happened is just unacceptable i mean to a certain extent just based on you know age uh based on what the age brings in terms of uh, immune systems and it being uh, compromised. 
there was going to be, you know, a challenge with a pandemic such as this, but it did not need to be to as significant to the degree it is. Where we had a couple of days ago, Teresa Tam saying nearly half of the deaths in the country are, are the result of uh, people dying in long-term care homes. Uh, for the country, by the way, we have, uh, we're, we're getting close to three thirty thousand cases. We're at 28,379. Who knows? Depending on some of the numbers, we could get up to uh, 30,000 today. Ontario and Quebec, you know, keep having these, you know, multi-hundred, you know, case jumps. We're only 1,200 and change away from 30,000. Maybe I'm, yeah, away from, no, I'm, that's wrong. 16. Now we probably won't get to 30,000 today. I was at, I had, I just said a uh, higher number. We probably won't get to 30,000 today. So uh, we'll take solace in that. Uh, we do have 8,600 resolved cases and 1,010 deaths. So uh, the numbers continue to rise, which is a good a reminder that we need to keep doing the physical distancing that we're doing. It is paying dividends. Prime Minister Trudeau is expected to announce some more financial help for small businesses uh, today. So that will be uh, coming down. He'll be speaking at 1115 as per usual. It is likely some of the changes will include eligibility rules for the Canada Emergency Business Account program that banks and credit unions began delivering last week. Under the program, the federal government is backing interest-free loans of up to $40,000 for businesses with annual payrolls between $50,000 and $1 million. Trudeau says he will also be encouraging his provincial and territorial counterparts today to boost pay quickly for healthcare support workers dealing with COVID-19 in seniors' homes. Now, something that they're also discussing at uh, the federal level is what to do when the House of Commons resumes. They are supposed to be back on Monday. So are they going to sit in person? Are they going to have uh, virtual meetings? I mean, I personally would, you know, maybe you can do a combination of the two. You cannot have 300 plus MPs in the House of Commons all at once and social distance and, and send the message you're trying to send to everyone else. They, there are a lot of calls to have everyone come back, all MPs come back to the House to uh, hold the uh, Liberal government to account. We should be holding the government to account. And holding question period is difficult remotely. I mean, there's challenges, I grant you, but uh, some combination of the two to me would seem to be uh, the way to go. And just quickly, uh, something else we're going to be following up on on the program, because this is something we've touched upon previously is the fiscal health of cities. So the head of a uh, think tank on fiscal health and challenges uh, for urban cities says cities do not have the tools at their disposal to boost revenues amid the fallout from the COVID-19. And so uh, Enid Slack, the director of the Institute for Municipal Finance and Governance, says cities would face pushback against raising taxes, which means some form of government relief is going to need to come to assist the municipalities, which is something I've been saying. We can put off, you know, uh, deferring property taxes for people, which is great. But at some time, people still have to pay those property taxes. But if people currently right now are not making money to help with 
the deferral they've been given and they have all these other costs that are coming all at once, something's got to give. And we've seen Vancouver already say to BC, they're going to need $200 million. I wonder if municipalities, London included, might be in the same boat. We have been heard. We have been told by city council already. We're not in that position where Vancouver's in uh, yet. So, you know, don't uh, don't get too concerned about this, but I think it is something uh, worth monitoring and we will be following up. We will take a break for news. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Sunny this morning. A mix of sun and cloud this afternoon. High of three. Partly cloudy tonight. Low minus six. Little uh, wet snow in the forecast for tomorrow. Cloudy high of five. Uh, snow will last on the ground, so that's the uh, good news tomorrow. Got a bit of a dusting this morning, which, uh, you know, it is April, so it can happen. But still, uh, I'd uh, prefer if we uh, just had the snow uh, leave us for a while. We got enough uh, going on at the moment. Uh, you heard this in the news uh, just a few moments ago, uh, the story that came out yesterday about Roy Halliday. That was, uh, um, Roy Halliday's death was uh, was a tough one. That was, um, that was a shock. Uh, the way it transpired, just what he, uh, you know, what he meant uh, as a, uh, a Blue Jay, uh, what he was, uh, you know, the kind of role he had in uh, Canadian uh, sports was significant and it was uh the the re- the report that was that came out yesterday was not you know a surprise necessarily uh still kind of uh sad to see he had uh, high levels of amphetamines in his system he was performing extreme stunts when his plane crashed along with the amphetamines he had some antidepressants in his blood that could have impaired his judgment the report was uh, obtained by ESPN. The uh, maneuvers he was doing included a high pitch climb and steep turn within five feet of the water. The report did not include a uh, final reason for the crash, but it stated Halliday entered a steep climb before the speed of his plane hit 85 miles per hour. His plane went into a nosedive and crashed into the water. The report listed uh, blunt force trauma and drowning as the causes of uh, death. That oh, was a sad, sad story. Uh, still is a sad story. Um, there, I mean, there are speculations as to other motivations behind it. I won't get into that now. There was a, a really well-pieced, well-put-together article that came out about a year ago. Just looking at his life, um, talking to his family, his relationship with his father and uh, possible motivations that you could conclude from the article. They didn't out and out uh, suggest anything, but um, it was an informative read, but a uh, a sad one. Interesting little update that came from the World Health Organization yesterday. I joked online that uh, this is when this really became serious for me. So here's what the uh, World Health Organization is saying. Uh, Drinking alcohol can increase the risk of catching COVID-19 and can make it worse if you do get it. 
So the World Health Organization is recommending government leaders around the world limit access to alcohol during coronavirus lockdowns. This is uh, what their report said when they released it uh, late yesterday or late uh, Tuesday into uh, Wednesday. Alcohol compromises the body's immune system and increases the risk of adverse health outcomes. So alcohol consumption is associated with a number of communicable and non-communicable diseases that can make a person more vulnerable to contracting COVID-19. It can also exacerbate mental health issues and risk-taking behavior. It can stoke violence, especially in countries that have implemented social distancing measures that largely keep the population quarantined in their homes. The WHO also published a fact sheet dispelling the myth that consuming high-strength alcohol can kill the coronavirus. It does not, their website says. They add it can result in serious health issues, including death, especially if it's uh, included with, you know, some methanol. About 3 million deaths a year are attributable to alcohol without a pandemic driving up consumption. And as we've uh, talked on the program before, alcohol consumption is up uh, during the uh, pandemic. It's up in Canada. It's up in the United States. I saw some, in some cases, like box sales of boxes of wine, you know, where you can get like four liters a piece, were up something to the degree of like 144%. <laughs> Based, you know, if you, if you do a, a walk around your neighborhood, you can see, I don't know about you, but I can see a lot of wine bottles in blue boxes out there. A lot of people having a little vino with uh, dinner. They might be having a little vino with appetizers, might be having a little vino with dessert as well. Not judging. I uh, myself just uh, picked up uh, a 2-4 yesterday, so I'm not judging. I am not liking this, though. And all along, when we've been having this discussion about what is an essential business, what is a non-essential business, People did raise the point, well, what is essential about the LCBO? What is essential about the beer store? The argument was made, and I think there's some validity uh, to it. There are people who are alcohol dependent. If you cut them off cold turkey, then there could be health issues related to that. And they may need to go to the hospital at a time when we want to make sure our resources at hospitals are, are you know, are limited to the, the most extreme cases, which is COVID-19. But also people, if you're like, if you're having, you know, heart issues, if you're feeling something, you should still go to the hospital. We saw in SARS, you know, 17 years ago, the... One of the impacts of it was after it was over, a lot of people came in with medical conditions. They should have gone to and would have gone to the hospital floor normally, but didn't because they were concerned about SARS. There are doctors who are now concerned that something similar will happen with COVID-19. And so the argument being you keep the LCBO and alcohol and, and beer stores open to alleviate that. And then just in general, if people are going to be quarantined, it's nice to have a beer. I mean, 
I, over the past couple of months, have severely cut back my alcohol intake. There was a period of uh, four or five months where I didn't have a, a drop of alcohol when I was uh, trying to, uh, to lose uh, a bunch of weight, and I did lose a bunch of weight. Alcohol, if you're trying to lose weight uh, during quarantine, cutting uh, alcohol out of uh, your uh, diet is a great way to do it. But I did order some or get some beer yesterday because it is nice to... Uh, have a beer on the weekends and, and relax a little bit. You got to step away from uh, the work stuff. You got to step away from the COVID stuff. You just got to step away and having a beer, especially if you're on the, one of these uh, video apps, talking to friends is a nice way to, uh, to do that and relax and uh, just kind of escape all of it. But the WHO is recommend, recommending government leaders around the world limit access to alcohol during the coronavirus lockdowns because alcohol can increase the risk of catching COVID-19 and make it worse if you do get it, along with a lot of other different diseases. So maybe the recommendation, not a huge surprise, uh, given what we know about viruses and diseases and the spread in alcohol, but still. Worth noting nonetheless. We'll take a break. When we come back on the other side, we will talk about ways to keep fit if you are looking to lose some weight during quarantine, ways to stay active during self-isolation. That and more coming up after the break. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Happy to have you along with us. Hope your day is going along nicely. How are you doing when it comes to keeping in shape during self-isolation? I've seen people talk about how they're losing weight. I've seen people talk about how they're gaining weight. Uh, personally, I am uh, losing weight. Uh, I have lost uh, 60, almost 70 pounds since last September. So I'm uh, keeping that up during this uh, self-isolation. Uh, my method uh, was pretty easy. Went to the gym a lot, ate uh, healthy and eliminated booze. Uh, I, like all of you, can't uh, do all of that right now. We can cut out the booze. We can eat healthy if you want. Uh, can't go to the gym, but it can uh, be a way still to lose weight and stay active. You can still stay active at home. Uh, to get some tips on how to do that, let's ask uh, Nalia Toman. She is the health promotion lead with participation and a certified uh, personal trainer. Uh, Natalie, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for asking us to join in the call today. What are some uh, different ways people can uh, uh, use or, or think of to stay active right now? I think the first thing to explain to uh, your listeners is the difference between physical activity and exercise um, because there there is a difference. So physical activity is getting your heart pumping and burning calories uh, exceeding what you would do if you were at rest. So that's the important definition to physical activity. And exercise, which is a subset of physical activity, is repetitive and structured and very defined. There's a start, there's a finish. So I think it's very important that people separate those two uh, so that they can better understand how they can become more physically active during this time. That is a good distinction to make. So what? Uh, so knowing that, how should people look at ways where they can find some time in their day to just try and live a more healthy lifestyle? 
Yeah. So when you when you think of the definition, it becomes a little bit easier, right? The barriers um, to uh, becoming more physically active and burning those calories, as you mentioned earlier in your call, um, can happen easier. So physical activity can exist in everything that you're doing currently, uh, just adding a little bit more effort into the movements that you're making and making a concerted effort to get up from a seated position more often during the day. So that would be a a very good start towards getting more physical activity into your day. And what adults are looking to do is to get 150 minutes of what we call moderate to vigorous physical activity per week to have, you know, the best health outcomes. So what that would mean is things, uh, simple things like gardening, uh, adding some vigor into your household chores, um, considering how you move about your home and around your home. So, you know, putting a little, you know, little zip in your step. Uh, another really great strategy that, you know, I help clients with is playing, you know, an upbeat music. That usually uh, stimulates what we call NEAT, so uh, this non-exercise activity that also can expend energy. So all of those strategies can help people get a little bit more physical activity into their day. How big of an impact is diet in all of this? Uh, So generally speaking, uh, the way that we look at uh, diet in participation is that, you know, good hydration and a well-balanced diet uh, really sets you up uh, for the best uh, you so that you will be more inspired to be physically active, if that makes sense. So if you're dehydrated or you're not taking in uh, good quality macro and micronutrients, um, you're not going to feel your best you. And it's, you know, that is a big component to why people are active. They feel good and then they go in and they're active because they feel good. Uh, do you have any tips for, you know, because uh, obviously there's uh, people who uh, young and old who are listening in terms of uh, different tips for people of different ages and, and ways to um, just stay active? Yes, absolutely. So it's it's interesting times uh, that we're in right now. So we have uh, access to uh, different types of resources through apps, a participation. We have an app um, that is full of video content and exercise-related and physical activity-related content that they can consume, as well as a tracking mechanism that can help motivate them forward. Uh, every time they track, they get uh, points towards rewards, and everybody knows that uh, rewarding uh, behavior is a good way to, to continue that behavior. Uh, there is also a lot of social media right now that where you can um, tune in to uh, fitness breaks or exercise breaks that are short and condensed uh, so that people can uh, start adding those physical activity and exercise movements into their day. Uh, we, again, at Participation, we have uh, daily fit breaks Monday to Friday at 12 noon, but there's a lot of other uh, organizations out there that are reaching out on social media. So I encourage people to take advantage of this unique opportunity um, and help build that into their day. Uh, part of our struggle uh, during COVID-19 is a feeling of normalcy and uh, this self-isolation can be uh, very difficult for people. They can reduce their uh, self-esteem and their confidence. And so by connecting through these social media opportunities, we can increase that feeling of community and help boost our mood and how we're feeling about ourselves. So I think there's a lot of really, um, you know, some positives that are coming from this very difficult situation. And I think uh, we should take advantage of them. 
the videos i think are important at least at least for me in terms of how i learn things and and uh learn how to do things to, to be able to see how something is being done like you can be told and understand but then when you do it maybe it doesn't come out the way is proper so to be able to you know watch a video of someone doing something and say okay that's how i do it or i'm doing a little bit wrong i think helps you just get more out of that activity Mm-hmm. It's it's certainly a lot more motivating to have somebody on the other side, that feeling of connection, that feeling of accountability. Uh, even though it's not a two-way connection, you still feel that way. You know, I want to keep up. I want to I want to follow. I want to achieve. And that's, you know, human nature. And it's a, a great um, offshoot of these uh, social media video opportunities. One of the things I found was successful for me when I've been, you know, trying to lose weight and just be, be more healthy and exercise more is once you have that r- routine set, it's easier mm-hmm. to do it each and every day. And so I wonder if maybe from this, cause typically, you know, when we don't have a pandemic on, people can have difficulty finding a time in the day because of life, kids, mm-hmm. work, everything, it's busy. Mm-hmm. Maybe with this, if you can find, you know, a 15 minute burst in the morning, midday, evening, whatever the case might be, something that could extend beyond the pandemic and there could be some positives that are long lasting from this. Well, that's how I feel. I think this is, you know, it's, it's slightly exciting. <laughs> the, the fitness and exercise geek I am, I think it's, it's very interesting. And you, you really uh, hit the nail on the head when you say um, these short bursts and this accumulation, this is all the language that we need uh, your listeners to hear is that physical activity is an accumulation of all the movements that you uh, endeavor in, in the day. It's not just that single one visit to um, a gym or that single one visit that you do watching a video. It's an accumulation or a lifestyle. And I think that is the opportunity that we have right now. As you mentioned, you know, people are home. um, They have an opportunity to sort of build new routines and new habits. So I think this is the conversation we need to have. Natalie, I certainly appreciate you having this conversation with me today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. You as well. That is uh, Natalie Toman. She's the health promotion lead with uh, participation and a certified personal trainer. We need to stop for news. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show. Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. We are into the second hour of the program. Good morning, everybody. Sunny this morning, mix of sun and cloud this afternoon. High of three, partly cloudy tonight, low of minus six. Wet snow on Friday, cloudy, high of 5, sunny on Saturday, high 10, sunny on Sunday, high 12. So today will be uh, the coldest day for the next couple of days. Woke up to a bit of uh, snow on the ground this morning. Not a, not a whole ton, just a little dusting. Might get some more snow tomorrow, though, but uh, good news is it will not linger if it does materialize. There have been some interesting crazes during the uh, pandemic of course there was the uh, toilet paper craze which seems to have leveled off i don't know about you uh but i cannot find lysol to 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 save my life right now uh there is no lysol wipes that i've seen every time anytime i've gone out if you've been able to get some then uh, good on you But uh, Lysol wipes have been uh, super hard to find. One of the uh, latest crazes seems to be uh, seeds. People are worried about their gardens and their flowers, and they need to have their seeds. And so, of course, because everything must be uh, 
an issue during the pandemic. Uh, people are uh, panic buying uh, items for their garden, which, uh, you know what, if you've got a garden, then great. I'm glad you can get out in the backyard and do something. Uh, speaking of seeds, though, uh, one of the other crazes is apparently men freezing theirs. Apparently, sales of at-home collection kits for your seed has uh, gone uh, way up as men want to freeze their stuff in case the worst happens or the virus affects fertility. Home sperm collection firm CryoChoice has seen sales jump by as much as 20% in recent weeks. Staff at the uh, at-home sperm collection startup Legacy uh, claim they've seen up to 10 times their usual order volume in recent days. Uh, there's another company called Daddy, D-A-D-I. Uh, it's another startup. Say, they say they have have only seen a, a threefold lift in uh, sales, but more people than ever are buying five years of sperm storage up front. So I don't know what people think is going to be happening with the pandemic. I also was completely unaware there were so many at-home sperm collection firms. Tom Smith, the CEO of Daddy, uh, says he's as surprised as anyone about this. He told the Daily Beast he actually thought there would be a significant drop-off in business as people went more uh, for austerity measures. As of now, I, I think you should all be aware, uh, there is no evidence that coronavirus can have a long-term impact on fertility in men or women. We are still learning more about it, so that could change, of course. But as of right now, there's no evidence that could... Uh, impact fertility but hey if you want to stockpile on uh, on all that that's your business there are now instructions on how you can make a video looping yourself for zoom so you can skip your meetings while working from home <laughs> i was going to detail all the steps for you so you could do this if you wanted the instructions though are so detailed and so long it just seems like a lot of work it seems like a lot of work just to miss work especially when you could be called on to respond and then what happens but people have gone to uh, the uh, trouble of putting out step-by-step instructions and how to make a looping video of yourself on zoom which i think is just fantastic it's the 2020 version of you know the sun you know the glasses that make your eye that the fake sunglasses the fake glasses that have the eyeballs in them that make them not really but make it look like you're paying attention you're not sleeping at your desk if you want it you can google it i'd probably not recommend it. it's a surefire way to get fired but hey you do you uh, now that people are out of the way, animals like coyotes, bobcats, and bears have apparently reclaimed uh, Yosemite National Park, which is kind of cool. Uh, people are eating more snacks since the pandemic began. 40% of people say they're eating more snack food. 26% are going uh, big on chocolate. Coors Light delivered 150 cans of beer uh, to a 93-year-old woman in Pittsburgh who made the news because she went to her window with a sign that said, I need more beer. And so Coors Light uh, 
delivered her 150 cans of beer. Uh, in uh, related news, she's still waiting for the beer. Hey, -o. There's a, a wonderful story that I love just because these, I'm so glad they got caught. So um, 10 people in their 20s who flew in a private jet from London to France were turned away upon their arrival in France. They were trying to uh, get away from London to France for some reason, even though France has been hitting it, you know, pretty hard during the lockdown for some fun and uh, some escape, and they got caught. Good on them. There's a village in Indonesia that is asking volunteers to dress as ghosts to scare people into social distancing. And there's a guy in England <laughs> who went on a 170-mile drive on Easter to, quote, have a break from his wife and kids and got a warning from the cops for taking a non-essential trip. A 170-mile drive. That is quite the break from the family. And it did not end well. We'll take a break for a couple spots. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, stating the obvious to say uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a massive impact on Londoners. It has impacted our way of life, our health, our jobs. It has impacted everyone differently. Uh, people have lost their jobs, and sadly, they will continue to lose uh, their jobs. Uh, so businesses uh, that have been uh, forced uh, to close may not reopen. More and more people, organizations, post-secondary institutions are looking forward to the recovery. So uh, we can be ready. Uh, Fanshawe College is included in that. For those uh, looking for a new career following this, uh, employment consultants at the college uh, could be a resource for you. To talk about this, we are joined by Lisa Russell, Assistant Manager, Employment and Student Entrepreneurial Services. Uh, she joins us now. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Morning, Devin. Uh, colleges seem ideally positioned uh, to help Londoners find the next career. It's not unusual to have people of different ages uh, uh, turn to colleges like Fanja for their next chapter in life. Yes, uh, we've spoken with a lot of clients since the pandemic started who are um, taking this opportunity to really give some thought to their career and and um, step back and think about what their next steps might be. I think it's interesting people have already uh, reached out and are looking into that and not waiting uh, until uh, it's all over for something, which is, you know, smart, which is what you should be doing. But it's interesting people are already uh, reaching out. I think that, um, you know, with with the pandemic having, as you said, the massive impact on all of us, it's um, creating a little bit of uh, space for people to think about things that their busy lives didn't give them the opportunity to think about. Maybe, maybe you know, we're always in the back of their mind, but uh, now it's at the forefront, and, and so they're using the uh, time and opportunity, which is great. Would you say it's, you know, with the number of people reaching out to the college, is it busier than you might have normally for this type of year, or or, or how do you might gauge that? 
No, I wouldn't say it's busier. We are wanting to um, get the word out to people that we are open for business and all of our services uh, have gone virtual. So anyone who is, you know, contemplating returning to learning or um, working on their career uh, development, we are here with, with our workshops and employment consultant one-on-one appointments and so forth. So it's um, it's great that some folks are reaching out, and I'm, I would encourage others to do the same. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that um, one of the things that is happening because this um, pandemic has taken so much control away from people, and their and and has impacted their careers in ways that they have no control over. Taking these steps is giving them, you know, a sense of control back, and that's that is good. That that creates hope and and restores some uh, better sense of control over over um, kind of post pandemic activity. So so that's a good thing, good for people's mental wellness. That's an interesting point. Do you find often people are looking to to get that control back when they're looking for you know additional learning or maybe looking to make a a, a change in terms of uh, what field they want to go into next? Yes, we've um, we've probably spoken with more kind of career change conversations than we know than um, in terms of the total number of people we've been serving since the pandemic started more contemplating career exploration than just straight out job searching what should people consider when they are looking to have additional learning when they are looking for a new career and uh, they're looking at uh, reaching out to you guys what should people be considering I think, you know, it's important that um, people realize that there are services that are paid for with their tax dollars that they they can access at no cost. We're funded through the um, Employment Ontario Employment Service Programming, through the Ministry of Labour Training and Skills Development, and we're here and ready and willing to help. Um, one of the things that um, a lot of folk maybe don't know how to where to start with would be labor market research. And that's something that we can help with um, and assist those individuals who are doing some exploration. We've got lots of different tools and tips and strategies on how to do effective labor market research and um, kind of make those thoughtful decisions to uh, develop an employment plan and, and uh, have, you know, be ready to when, uh, when things open back up. Making that decision, you know, can be a, a big one. Whether you you've you've lost your job or not, sometimes people, you know, you you do one thing for such a long time, and you kind of see yourself in that realm. But there's other areas you can go. Uh, do you find generally that people aren't aware of some of those resources that can help make that decision in terms of if you do want to make that uh, that move? Uh, there are a lot of resources available to people to help uh, make it a little bit easier. Absolutely. There's a network of employment services in the city, and I always say we're the best kept secret because we're, we're here, we're, um, you know, no cost to the consumer and uh, ready and highly motivated to help people get back on their feet. Uh, so if people uh, want to um, get more information or they want to reach out uh, to, uh, to you guys, what's the best way to do that? They can, if they've got access to um, email, they can email us at CES for Community Employment Services at FanshawC.ca or call us. Uh, our temporary number during the uh, 
during the closure and virtual service is 226-268-5122. So phone or email, we always have an employment consultant on duty from 8.30 to 4.30, so somebody can, can you know start right away. It's a great message. Uh, Lisa, I certainly appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Devin. Have a great day and stay safe. Uh, you as well. Uh, that is Lisa Russell, uh, Assistant Manager, Employment and Student Entrepreneurial Services at uh, Fanshawe College. Uh, the point she made about um, getting back control, I think, is an interesting one and a really good one in terms of we don't have uh, control in this right now, right? Um, I would like to be broadcasting from the studio right now. I am not. I am broadcasting from a closet. Uh, we would all like to be going about our daily lives. Uh, we cannot. Uh, even those essential workers who are having a semblance of normalcy in terms of going to work, going to work is not normal these days for those people in terms of uh, concerns about uh, safety, uh, the anxiety that comes with it. There is no normalcy uh, available to people. So to have that control, I think, is a really interesting point. And a great reason to do that. And there's lots of resources available for people if you want to make that uh, change. So uh, you should take it up. Uh, you should uh, you look into it. Take them up on it because uh, in some cases it's free. You're paying for it. Better, uh, better than not, then uh, get some use out of it. We'll take a break for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 7.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's partly cloudy. We are sitting at minus 5 degrees. How a local RV company is helping frontline healthcare workers during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll have details on the way, but first we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Center. Main and side roads are trouble-free inside the city. Outside of the city, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford and Hamilton are moving well. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. Now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. We still may not be done with the snow as a little disturbance races across just to our south like one yesterday did. We had a little flurry from that one. We may get more substantial snow from this one tomorrow. Today, sunny at first, then partly sunny, a chance of a light flurry from Lake Breeze to the north at least, and three degrees only, minus six tonight. Then, snow, I think one to two centimeters, although much of it will melt, and five degrees tomorrow. Saturday and Sunday look sunny. Some cloud late Sunday may result in a shower very late, but 10 and 12 the highs. Today's high three. Right now we are sitting at minus 5 degrees. Premier Doug Ford says there's cracks in the long-term care system and his government will look at ways to fix them. He says the COVID-19 pandemic has served as a wake-up call. Many of the illnesses and deaths in this province have happened in long-term care facilities. So Ontario has issued an emergency order preventing long-term care staff from working at multiple homes. The province has acknowledged that some outbreaks in those facilities were the result of staff who work in two or three homes inadvertently bringing in the virus. Well, not even 24 hours after Ottawa tightened self-isolation requirements for anyone entering Canada from outside its borders, U.S. President Donald Trump began publicly musing that travel restrictions between the neighbouring countries could be relaxed sooner rather than later. In mid-March, the two countries imposed a ban on non-essential travel in both directions, and that agreement is set to expire on April 21st. 
The family-run Can-Am RV Center here in London is offering its homes on wheels free of charge to support frontline healthcare workers. The company has delivered 14 homes to local healthcare workers so far, including ICU nurse Barbie Johnson, and six more are set to go out this week. Johnson says the RV is parked in her driveway, adding it's been a huge relief being able to still see her family from a safe distance. I would come home and my poor family, I think they thought I was going crazy because I was staying away from them and I was in tears and I wasn't sleeping at all. For more on this story, go to our website, 980cfpl.ca. And in other news, a 19-year-old man has been charged with manslaughter in a fatal shooting at a high-rise apartment building across from police headquarters in London. Police say 16-year-old Owen Nicholas Sariska was pronounced dead after being found in an apartment on Dundas Street on Tuesday. Police say the victim and the accused knew each other and a firearm was recovered. Joseph Wynne Stanley has been charged. It's London's first homicide of 2020. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Baseball Hall of Famer Roy Halladay had high levels of amphetamines in his system and was doing extreme acrobatics when he lost control of his small plane and nosedived in 2017, killing him. That's according to a new report issued Wednesday by the National Transportation Safety Board. Halliday had amphetamine levels about 10 times therapeutic levels in his blood, along with a high level of morphine and an antidepressant that can impair judgment. Time now for a Market Minute, and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Horrible economic data and another batch of weak earnings reports that North American stock markets to a midweek fall yesterday. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 299 points to close at 13,958. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 445 points, closing at 23,504. And the Nasdaq fell 122 points to close at 8,393. Asian markets trending down this morning with Japan's Nikkei slipping 259 points to finish at 19,290. Ahead of closing in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is currently down 112 points. And the Looney is trading overseas at 70.84 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Hope your uh, day is uh, going along nicely. It is a uh, nice Thursday uh, morning here. Not too bad of a day. Going to be a bit uh, chilly today, but uh, it is April and it does happen. Sunny this morning, mix of sun and cloud this afternoon. High of three, partly cloudy tonight, a low minus six. Wet snow on Friday, cloudy, high of five. Sunny on Saturday, high 10. Sunny on Sunday, high 12. It is an interesting time to be a frontline worker these days. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown us who truly the essential workers in our community are. We knew about the emergency responders. Uh, That was obvious. But what we are seeing is how truly indispensable grocery store workers are, delivery people, sanitation workers, and yes, of course, uh, transit employees. Uh, There are people in London who do not have any means of uh, transportation other uh, than the LTC. And for those people, uh, the buses are still running, albeit with some changes. Since last month, uh, riders have been asked to enter via the back of the bus, meaning fares will not be charged. 
However, there are still reports of uh, people riding the bus to just have something to do. You may have seen the story last week about some drivers with the LTC having reservations about helping secure people with wheelchairs on the bus. Uh, Remember, while everyone is told to get on at the back of the bus, those with uh, wheelchairs uh, cannot. So for drivers, it's impossible to stay uh, six feet away from someone when you're securing them into a position. Uh, Disability advocates were upset by the story, but uh, I think what we should be concerned about is not only the safety of the riders, but also the drivers are recently an LTC driver did test positive for the uh, coronavirus. Earlier this week, we were talking to uh, John Danino, the uh, president of ATU uh, Canada. ATU is the uh, union that does represent many uh, transit workers across the country in St. Thomas. They, by the way, just joined in St. Thomas, the union in January. Uh, So they had uh, good timing. Uh, That union does represent uh, transit workers in London as well. We have seen reports of people uh, riding the bus just for something to do, which is not something that should be happening. So uh, there are concerns with regards to transit, and uh, let's talk about them right now. We are joined by Andre Fournier, the president of ATU Local 741. Uh, Andre, appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you for your interest, Evan. I'm kind of losing my voice here, so I hope I can hang in. Okay, well, we'll we'll try and make it uh, as uh, quick, but also informative as uh, possible. Uh, How concerned are your members about going to work every day right now? Well, enough that uh, some are taking leave of absences without pay. So I think that should explain it, right? It's like sending people off to war without uh, shields or ammunition. How many are taking um, leave without pay? Leave without pay... There's about, well, put it this way, we're missing about 181 drivers right now. And we have a 450 driver fleet, 540 employees. Recently, the LTC announced a uh, reduction in service. Is that, uh, would you say, the reason why we've had uh, some routes uh, reduced because of just the drivers uh, taking that leave? uh, Yeah, I think that's part and parcel. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, they get nervous. They're worried. They don't want to take the uh, virus home to their families. Some are living in different locations. Some have their children living with their grandparents. It's just a mess. But everybody's pretty, you know, it's life and death. You know, they're frontline workers now. It's a significant step to take. I guess, like, what what are the conditions for working right now, like, in terms of uh, having enough gloves, masks, uh, uh, Lysol, anything? What What are drivers given on a daily basis to do their job? So right now, they're given two sets of gloves in the morning. They just uh, The company just accessed or acquired, actually, uh, hand sanitizer to hand out to each driver. And uh, hopefully that lasts. It's a larger bottle, medium. Um, beyond that, we did the rest. We got masks for ourselves. They were a little better than dust masks. Uh, we found about 650 of them about three weeks ago, and, of course, that ran out quick. Uh, luckily, one of our operators... Um, gave me a link to Shields in Toronto, a place that does Shields that you can clip to a baseball cap. Uh, another operator has, uh, has connections. She has connections for fabric face masks for us too. So you can see, uh, you know, as a community, we're pulling together to help each other, but uh, you know, we're trying to take care of each other. 
Is it enough? Is the LTC doing enough for the drive for the safety of your drivers and, and your members and all employees? I, there's many steps that we'd like to see taken place, like limiting loads on buses. I mean, you've heard uh, Dr. Mackey talk about it. All levels of health have said, you know, uh, social distancing, social distancing. People are in parks, they're getting fined, you know, crowds of five. And here we are packed, not all the time, Devin, but when we're busy, we're busy. And we got like 30 people on. They want you to run full to standing behind a bungee cord behind our wheelchair uh wheelchair um, embankments there so yeah it's there's a there's a lot of people on there has the ltc given any direction uh, advising against drivers maybe skipping a stop if there are too many people on the bus where you can't you know distance by six feet or more no no you're you're told to pack them in and when you're packed in and they're standing then you can go by um if we look at hamilton they've had put things in effect where they have uh limiting 10 people on a bus, 40-footer, 15 to an articulating bus. Do your members feel taken taken for granted at all during this, do you think? Well, they don't feel loved, let me tell you that, okay? The morale here is the lowest I've seen. I've been here 37 years, and uh, they are really, really upset. They feel like the company, the commission, are not backing them. They don't have their backs when it comes down to it. And we're talking life and death, right? And, you know, I, I don't blame people for staying home. I really don't. I mean, the reality of our job is it's very dangerous at this point. And with people that are taking leisurely rides where there's essential workers that need to take the bus to get to hospitals, et cetera, it, it's dangerous for, for them as well. Do you think more drivers uh, may decide to uh, take a leave without pay just uh, out of concern? There's talk. I, you know, every day, uh, my vice president, Mike Gochi, and I, we hear them come in. And, uh, yeah, there, there's always a day where someone's talking about leaving. You tell them, you know, we don't blame you. Don't, you know, some feel like they're cowards. They're not. They're not. I mean, my goodness, you have no ammunition. You know, what are you going to do? So, yeah, there'll be, I, I, I foresee that. And if that happens, then the system will shut down. That's why if we could get people or load limiting, people to stay home, okay, stay home, find alternative ways. If we're sick, we can't run the system. We need to be healthy to run the system. Do you know how many drivers they need to run the system? Uh, offhand, no, I don't. Uh, give me a second here, and I'll find out for you. How many people, how many drivers to run the system? Yeah, total. 424 we need to run a 424 plus 43 retired people to, to run a system complete. Okay, so so we're, we're close to not being able to do that now then? No, 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 no. No, when you lose 181 from that and the uh, the part-time the retirees, they're, you know, they're of my age and they're a little older, so they're staying home. They, they you know, they don't want to catch something. They have underlying issues. They're vulnerable to this. Um, yeah, it's it's nasty. The, the wheelchair story that got a lot of attention last week, I think, maybe underscores, you know, some of the disconnect. I mean, having uh, two, you know, pairs of gloves in the morning, it really helps you with only one wheelchair, and then you're you're kind of out of, of gloves. So, so it doesn't seem as though there's, like, I can understand drivers being a little bit concerned about helping people into, have the equipment necessarily to do, to do the job. Um. You know, pre-COVID, we, you know, we were picking up uh, chairs, mobility devices, and they know that. 
And if you talk to those people, it was an everyday thing. It's not an issue now. It's a little more dangerous, um, and it's dangerous for them as well, uh, you know, getting on our buses. Um, you know, there, there, there's other issues where Hamilton has uh, taken taken to the, the company where they have an assistant come on with the wheelchair and strap them in. Uh, uh, there's paratransit here, which is down 75% in ridership, you know, albeit as long as they have, you know, the proper uh, protective uh, equipment, then, you know, we don't want to, you know, get them in the line of fire as well. We want to move London. We want to move the people with mobility issues. They need to get around town. There's no doubt about it. I've been told there's agencies around that will pick up groceries for them and deliver them for free. Um, but some of them, yes, definitely they're going for dialysis, they're going for medical, and they need to. We don't have an issue with that. It's just, it's the proximity of, uh, you know, that's well within the six feet, whereas places like Stratford are doing eight feet away from the driver. Um, you know, we, we, it's not that we don't want to pick them up. The union doesn't condone drivers going by people in wheelchairs at all, okay? Um, we just want better protective gear or some more distancing. Has the LTC been receptive to the issues you've been raising to them? It's been slow. Uh, the last few, no. Um, they haven't been receptive to the last few ideas that we brought in about load limiting and, uh, you know, assistance with uh, people with mobility issues. Um, so they have on other other things they've come. It seems slow. It, it's almost like I feel like if the city is an emergency, Cut out the commission, go straight to the city, tell them what we need. Can you do this? Help us out. Boom, boom, let's take care of this. I mean, moving forward, we have a great case for barriers that we've been pushing for for drivers uh, for their safety, but they would have come in handy right now. Uh, it's going to be pushed to city council at some point. Um, also reconfiguring a wheelchair, okay, the wheelchair holds, where a person can come in uh, in their mobility device and uh, connect themselves somehow where they don't need assistance. I've also heard stories where a wheelchair did get on a bus and re- refused to be hooked up. Now, this is post-COVID to one of our uh, employees being infected. So, you know, it, it leaves you wondering, you know, is this person saying, you know what, no thanks, don't get close to me. I don't want to catch it from you either. And you can't blame them, right? But, I mean, they need their independence, and I understand that. And, you know, we want to try to work with them and uh, make this work for them, you know. The uh, the driver that uh, did test positive, do you know how they're doing? Uh, I I don't know, not privy to that. Okay, well, um, I, pardon. No, I was just gonna say I hope they're I hope they're doing well. I mean, it's a scary situation for a lot of people. It, it is. It is. We all, you know, that's our, our our main concern is our employees, you know, and and their their health. Um, we don't know right now. We're not privy to that. Okay, nobody is. But uh, hopefully they're getting better, and that's that's all we have so far. As far as I know, is one reported uh, when London Middlesex Health uh, notifies transit. They they do not give a name. They just say an employee has uh, has contracted it. Just finally, uh, what message would you have uh, to Londoners uh, with uh, with all of this going on? Well, number one. Open up your washrooms. (laughs) I know they can't do that, okay? Our drivers are having a real difficult time. I won't tell you where they're going, but uh, they're they're making it work for them. Um, Basically, please stay home. Please stay home. There's essential workers that are using those buses to get to hospitals, et cetera, to work, okay? Um, If you have to, I mean, we go by the, uh, the test centers, 
we, we go by the hospital. So that's what makes us vulnerable. We're taking people that may be, you know, may be infected already or, or going to be tested. So we need that distance. But I, I would say, please stay home unless it's an emergency. And please don't overcrowd the buses at the back. If you see there's 10 on, you know, make it your duty. Make it your duty to say, you know, there's 10 on. You know what? It looks like six feet here or there. I'm going to wait for the next one. With, with the extra, like we have, uh, we've downsized the service. We're going to have bodies like uh, drivers that will be on spare board. We're hoping that they can take buses out, strategic parts of the city where there's washroom facilities, wait for the call, and then when a bus fills up or looks like it's going to get loaded, call them out to it and then separate the crowd so we can get away from, make sure we, we're doing social distancing on the bus and we can all stay healthy. Andre, I appreciate the time today. Uh, stay safe. I hope all members stay safe. Yeah. Can I just say I want to thank our drivers and our employees everywhere. I mean, they're really they're really working hard here, and I doubt they're sleeping. They're all concerned and worried, like uh, like we are up here. The, you know, over here at the executive. Um, yeah. I just want to I want to thank all our members uh, for pulling through and keeping London moving. I mean, you know, it's life and death a lot for a lot of them out there, and uh, you know, we're scared. I I can imagine. I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Devin, thank you so much for your interest. Have a great day. We will follow up. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Uh, We'll take a break here. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everybody. We just have a, a short little segment here before we will uh, pause uh, for the uh, top hour news. Uh, but that is um, quite interesting, what we just heard from Andre Fournier, the president of ATU Local 741, the uh, union that represents uh, bus drivers here. When you have over 100 drivers taking a leave of absence, Without pay uh, due to uh, COVID-19 and fears of going to work, we are getting uh, pretty close to potentially not being able to operate uh, the transit system. We will have to, and we will, follow up with uh, the Honor Transit Commission uh, to uh, find out uh, what comes next. But we did see this week the LTC unveiled uh, new route schedules for uh, a lot of different routes, uh, reduced uh, service times in terms of, so the, you know, for Sunday uh, now, I believe it's a, like a Christmas schedule. Saturdays now run on a Sunday schedule. And so they are reducing the bus. I mean, there are fewer people taking the bus, but the idea that you have people riding the bus just for something to do is just flat out wrong. It is not the job of the driver to tell people to get off. That is a dangerous situation for everyone. I can understand like if, if the buses are coming less frequently at different times for people, maybe in some cases, I'm not saying at all, people would say, well, I don't want to wait X amount of time for the next bus to come. I'm going to get on now. But then when you get on, if it's a full bus, it's to me, it's just not worth it. So let's let's leave the transit for people who absolutely need to use it. For those who need to get to work, 
for those that need to get supplies and do not have another means of transportation. But otherwise, don't be taking the bus just just for fun. And we have to, I mean, we have to recognize the, the issue of making sure there's enough PPE for bus drivers. Like, there, there's got to be more gloves available for them at the very least. They should not have to source their own masks. These are pretty basic things in terms of what we're asking our essential workers to to have and to do when we're asking them to continue to operate as per usual. So uh, there will be follow-up to this because that is a, uh, a significant development. We will stop for news. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. We are into the third hour of the show. Happy to have you along with us today. Sunny this morning. Mix of sun and cloud. Cloud uh, this afternoon. Uh, partly cloudy tonight. A low minus six uh, overnight. A high of just uh, three uh, today. Uh, something uh, that is important uh, to me at this radio station, and I can speak for everyone who works at 980 CFPL in Chorus Radio London, is the future of small and medium businesses in London, not just uh, London, but Middlesex, Oxford, Elgin counties as well. Small businesses are the backbone of our community. There have been a lot of great initiatives to support business, one of which began last night. People across the country are being asked to order takeout or delivery from their local uh, favorite eatery. Every Wednesday is a show of support for Canada's restaurant industry amid this pandemic. The initiative, dubbed Canada Takeout Day, is backed by hundreds of restaurant owners, chefs, and culinary leaders. It launched yesterday as part of a virtual concert that aired on Canada's Great Kitchen Party Facebook page. I wanted to talk about this with one of our local restaurants. Uh, to do that, we are joined by Mario Yozic. Uh, he is uh, the uh, co-owner of London Wine Bar with his partner, Laura Del Mastro. Uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for having us. Uh, how has the uh, pandemic impacted you? Uh, it's It's been uh, quite a drastic change for our business model because uh, essentially on March 16th, we were ordered uh, that we have to shut down and um, we had no idea when it's going to end and what's going to happen. So we literally overnight had to uh, create a, a delivery and takeout uh, menu and get it out there for uh, people to be able to support us. So you are doing what you know a lot of restaurants are are trying to do, which is uh, stay in business uh, by doing uh, or, uh, takeout and delivery. Uh, obviously, not what you uh, uh, got into uh, this to do, but it's it's what you have to do to to stay in business, right? Absolutely. Uh, initially, we just uh, we we assumed the uh, the uh, the closure is going to last for a couple of weeks, uh, maybe too optimistic. But uh, initially, we just wanted to uh, get rid of some of the stuff that we've had, so we didn't want to. To go bad, and then uh, we started doing uh, takeout delivery March 26th, and uh, uh, it's gone very well. And it looks like it's going to be a, a long-term um, a thing for a lot of the businesses, especially as the COVID pandemic continues. That's what I was going to ask next. Uh, how has it uh, been? I guess the response has been uh, positive. Uh, the response has been uh, absolutely fantastic. We're uh, overwhelmed uh, with the support uh, initially. Uh, uh, when we were getting email requests for uh, takeout and delivery, it was a lot of familiar um, uh, customers that we knew from, um, you know, during regular business. And now it's just kind of 
boomed into this thing where uh, a lot of new customers are ordering and they've been uh, talking about uh, the unique food that we're offering and it's been uh, it's the, the support from the community has been overwhelming what do you hear from your uh, fellow restaurateurs with this when you you know see you know uh, efforts like uh, the great uh, Canada takeout and uh, people really uh, promoting uh, takeout uh, from uh, local restaurants yes uh, as restaurant owners, um, we're, we're very, very happy with the response that we've been getting from the community, and we're actually overwhelmed by the response that we're getting from the community because uh, every order that we get uh, it just seems like a, um, a support to us directly, and uh, the, the response has been uh, very good. And I think the restaurant owners are a little worried, obviously, because your main source of revenue has dried up and you have to reinvent yourself a little bit. And the fact that people are uh, rallying around small businesses, not just restaurants, but all small businesses around on, uh, London or Ontario that are able to offer a unique sort of package, uh, it really, really makes us uh, feel great, gives us uh, comfort, and it gives us a little hope uh, that once this pandemic is over, that we would be able to return to uh, a business as, as usual. One of the, I think, interesting uh, parts about when you do the uh, order takeout, and I would, you know, encourage people that Wednesdays are great, but, you know, don't have to limit it to just uh, once a week. Uh, one of the things that is great about that is you're not just supporting the, the restaurant, but also your suppliers and down the line. So there's a lot of um, uh, good that comes from those takeout orders. Absolutely. Uh, for example, one of our uh, main wine suppliers because uh, obviously business is tough for them right now, and we've been getting emails and and uh, when they're delivering wines for us, especially you know what can we do for you? Make sure we'll have a wine tasting for you. Uh, one of our uh, main suppliers, because we're uh, teaming with a mom and caregiver uh, next week to deliver uh, meals to some of the um, uh, underprivileged families at this time that may be overlooked during this crisis. So he honestly offered to come and do the deliveries for us just to kind of stick together during this time. So. Um, so when you're not when you're supporting a restaurant, you're supporting uh, the suppliers, the employees, everybody that's associated with it. So it's a it's a very very good cause. Uh, did you have to uh, lay off staff, or have you had to? Uh, can you bring them back, or what has that situation been like? I know that's been difficult for a lot of different uh, restaurateurs. Yes, uh, initially when we we had no intention of doing takeout because we didn't think our food. Uh, was kind of suitable for takeout because we do a lot of charcuterie small uh, plates. Uh, so we had to reinvent ourselves during this time. But initially, uh, when we were forced to close, we we spoke to each one of our employees and see what they wanted. And most of them, uh, you know, wanted to come back, obviously. But in the meantime, as you can imagine, they uh, wanted to um, be able to receive EI or any financial assistance that's available to them. So um, we kind of took it by a one-on-one basis with our employees and we are hoping to uh, hire them back as soon as possible. Uh, we're in contact with them constantly, and we're hoping to bring them back um, to to resume a sense of normalcy for them, but as well as um, give them some uh, additional income. How many employees do you have? Uh, we have about six employees. Okay, so right now it's just you and your wife that's kind of operating things? Yes, yes, my partner. Is that, uh, I mean, a little bit uh, different? I mean, it's, uh, those are, with, with the response you're getting, it, those could be, make for some long days. Absolutely, absolutely. We, uh, so essentially she drives and uh, I cook, and um, we are partnering uh, with Uber Eats hopefully soon so we can have, uh, instead of doing pre-orders, uh, we can do uh, instant, uh, instant delivery. So uh, that's one way that we hope to uh, generate more 
um, more revenue and hoping to bring some people back as a result. Uh, because, as I said, um, just looking at the news, this seems like it's going to be a, a long-term uh, thing, especially for restaurants. When you're talking about social distancing, I think it's important that uh, we kind of prepare for a lengthy uh, lengthy change in our business model. Uh, just before we go, if people would like uh, to place an order uh, for a takeout order delivery, uh, how can they do that? Uh, they can go uh, online at www.londonwinebar.ca, and there's a delivery takeout menu uh, with pictures and wines, and uh, they just have to let us know if they want delivery or takeout, and we bring it back. We bring it to their uh, doorstep, contact free. Mario, it's uh, great to see. Uh, glad to see you guys are uh, trying to make the best of this, and uh, hopefully, uh, uh, this is over uh, sooner rather than later. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you as well. That is uh, Mario uh, Jozic. He is the co-owner of London Wine Bar with his partner, Laura Del Mastro. Uh, we need to pause. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Happy to have you along with us on this Thursday morning. How are you handling the COVID-19 pandemic? Okay? Not okay? How people get through this uh, will change. How you felt a week ago might not be how you feel now. Uh, depending on how long you've been self-isolating or working from home, you could be on your uh, fourth or fifth week of this, maybe your third week, depending on uh, where you're at. Uh, a company out of Mississauga that specializes in behavioral research and management consulting, uh, Decision Partners, has launched something interesting. It's a voluntary project. They started this last month to get a better idea of how people are coping with the pandemic. It's uh, not sponsored by anyone. It's uh, posted online for free. Uh, to talk about it, we are joined by Sarah Thorne. She is the president and CEO of Decision Partners. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Devin. I'm really happy to be here with you. What made you want to uh, start uh, doing this? Well, what our company does and what we've been doing for 30 years is uh, really research to understand influences on people's judgment, decision-making, and behavior. And we thought that going through this pandemic with everything changing every week and um, people talking about how challenging it is to get used to all the change and to cope, we thought that we could do our little part by doing this coping survey. So we're now into our our fourth week of the coping survey. We have people all over North America and a few people around the world um, doing the survey every week, and we're learning all sorts of things about how people are coping. What sort of answers uh, did you get from people at the start of this, and maybe how have they changed over time? We One of the questions we ask is, what one word would you use to describe how you're feeling today? And in our first survey, we heard that people were anxious, but we also heard a lot of people say, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm bored, those kinds of things. Now, as of last week, April 6th to 9th, we just uh, released the results of um, our survey from last week. What we're hearing now is people saying, I'm tired, I'm anxious, I'm resigned. We do have people still saying, okay, I'm pretty good, I'm hopeful. But I think people realize that we're in for, in for the long term on this. 
when you uh, get this information, uh, what are some of the insights that uh, maybe um, could help uh, public and decision makers? How do you hope that they maybe uh, people see this information and what could come from it? I think it's. I think what we're learning is that people are coping, they're adapting, and um, in our survey, people are doing what they're being asked to do by you know public health officials. I think it's really important that. Uh, leaders in government and industry and even small businesses understand that people are going through a lot of change. And what's changing is our behaviors. And I think that the work that we're doing can be very informative um, as leaders look forward to how do we transition to the next stage where we start, um, you know, letting up on some of the restrictions. How do we make sure that we can answer their basically two fundamental questions. Are we safe and can we trust you? So how do we it's help people, you know, how do we help people understand what's safe and, uh, you know, what the requirements are and wh- how to be, who to trust for information? It's interesting when we look at that information and, you know, for ISE, for Canadian respondents, elected officials, we're uh, pretty high up on the list for Amer- for U.S. Uh, respondents. It's media sources were mentioned pretty uh, high up. Um, and so it's interesting just how sometimes, you know, for both, you know, Canadian and uh, U.S., uh, you know, government health officials were mo- mentioned most frequently. But it's interesting just how it maybe uh, diverts uh, in the two countries in terms of um, some of these answers. Oh, absolutely. Our, um, our, our government and public health people in Canada were are, – are- were seen as very um, trusted sources of information, as was um, our media. Um, in the U.S., different story. Um, they were much more focused on um, CDC, particularly, and Dr. Fauci. It's interesting uh, as a positive too uh, for people. Um, you know what people most grateful for. You know family, health, friends, and home, which are things we should be grateful for. So I'm, I'm glad that those are still um, important aspects for people. I think it's really important, and I think that that's something that makes um, makes all of us think about the people that don't have family, don't have those connections. Um, we can't forget that there are people out there that really need help. And need people, you know, need us to reach out, make a phone call, see how they're doing, check in with people. I think that's something that we can all do. If people would like to participate, how can they do that? Oh, we would love them to participate. We'd like them to take our survey every week. We post a new survey uh, on our website, uh, decisionpartners, with an S, dot C-O, we post a new survey um, every uh, Monday morning, and the survey's open for a week. We're really interested in having people from, uh, you know, your listeners from the London area participate. We have several that do, but we'd love to hear from more people. We'd love them to tell us how they're coping week over week, and we'd ask them to share the survey with their friends and their families. It is uh, quite interesting, uh, Sarah. I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Devin, and uh, hope that you and hope all your listeners are coping well. Likewise, I hope you're uh, coping well and staying safe. Thank you. 
That is uh, Sarah Thorne, president and CEO of Decision Partners. Uh, interesting uh, results they get. And yeah, I mean, they can help uh, when we look at this information. Uh, they, that information can help uh, policy decisions uh, that are made. Uh, Sourcing information is something we'll be discussing next break as well in terms of um, some uh, crowdsourcing efforts that are underway that I think are quite interesting and deserving of your attention. So we will take a, a break. We will pause for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, it's 8.30, I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mostly sunny, we are sitting at minus two. Premier Doug Ford says there's cracks in the long-term care system and his government will look at ways to fix them. He says the COVID-19 pandemic has served as a wake-up call. Many of the illnesses and deaths in this province have happened in long-term care facilities. So Ontario has issued an emergency order preventing long-term care staff from working at multiple homes. The province has acknowledged that some outbreaks in those facilities were the result of staff who work in two or three homes inadvertently bringing in the virus. The measure is temporary and critics argue that it's full of loopholes. The Middlesex London Health Unit is reporting one new death locally related to COVID-19. Health officials reported three new cases on Wednesday, bringing the total up to 250 with a dozen deaths. Meantime, a COVID-19 assessment center in St. Thomas will open seven days a week. Patients there will need to be referred by a doctor or Southwestern Public Health. More financial help is coming for small businesses struggling to survive the COVID-19 pandemic that has brought much of the country to a standstill. It's likely to involve some changes to the eligibility rules for the Canada Emergency Business Account Program that banks and credit unions began delivering last week. Some small and medium-sized businesses with payrolls just under or over the qualifying threshold have complained that they're not eligible for the loans. Well, not even 24 hours after Ottawa tightened self-isolation requirements for anyone entering Canada from outside its borders, U.S. President Donald Trump began publicly musing that travel restrictions between the neighboring countries could be relaxed sooner rather than later. In mid-March, the two countries imposed a ban on non-essential travel in both directions, and that agreement is set to expire April 21st. Yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made it clear that efforts to control the spread of the virus in Canada are likely to remain in place for several more weeks. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Baseball Hall of Famer Roy Halladay had high levels of amphetamines in his system and was doing extreme acrobatics when he lost control of his small plane and nosedived in 2017, killing him. That's according to a new report issued Wednesday by the National Transportation Safety Board. Halliday had amphetamine levels about 10 times therapeutic levels in his blood, along with a high level of morphine and an antidepressant that can impair judgment. Time now for a Market Minute, and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Horrible economic data and another batch of weak earnings reports led North American stock markets to a midweek fall yesterday. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 299 points to close at 13,958. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 445 points, closing at 23,504. And the Nasdaq fell 122 points to close at 8,393. Asian markets trending down this morning with Japan's Nikkei slipping 259 points to finish at 19,290. Ahead of closing in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is currently down 112 points. And the Looney is trading overseas at 70.84 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
Good morning, everybody. The coronavirus pandemic is a story unlike uh, any other I have covered. I mean, obviously, uh, for many reasons, but one of the uh, other reasons that has, uh, it's more maybe known for, for people in news, which uh, to the greater public doesn't really matter, but just from my vantage point, never before have I seen a story like this that so thoroughly impacted our life that we can cover it 24-7 and people not be tired of it because it continually evolves and there's new information and people are just so thirsty for information, they want more. And the more, the better. Typically, there's a, a period where people get tired of something. There's fatigue with a story, not with this. Now, again, it's evolving. It's not always the same story. And so there's a difference there. But never before has there been a story like this in my uh, career and for a lot of journalists' careers. And so that interest for information is ongoing. And so that's why I was interested to see some uh, researchers in Canada and the United States uh, who are turning to crowdsourcing uh, technology, uh, different ways uh, to uh, get more data uh, about uh, where COVID is in our neighborhoods. Uh, Dr. Lauren Lapointe Shaw is an epidemiologist and one of the researchers uh, involved in this. She joins us now. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Hi, Devin. Thanks very much for having me on the show. I appreciate having you on. How does it work uh, to uh, get this data? I guess there's some different methods uh, you're utilizing. Right. So I think, um, you know, mostly you you reached out to me to talk about uh, covidnearyou.org, which is a, yes. uh, a website that was created by folks out of Boston Children's Hospital uh, in the U.S. Uh, initially, this same group has um, actually achieved quite a bit of um world-renowned for their Flu Near You website, um, which is basically the same concept. Uh, so flu, of course, has been around for ages, and every year uh, we can look at uh, crowdsourced data on where people are experiencing flu symptoms to help predict what the next flu season is going to look like. Um, and so it was a, a sort of an easy jump to create a COVID Near You sister site, and uh, and we've been working with them, and we were involved in the in the in the launch in Canada, which happened about I guess two weeks ago now, um, and we're hoping to be able to analyze the Canadian data. You aren't at the point where you can spot trends. Obviously, you're still getting the data, but how easy or difficult is it to wade through that data? Because I imagine you can get a lot of it. Uh, yes, it's quite voluminous. Like I think uh, right now there's about 380,000 uh, responses from Canada just in the last two weeks. And uh, certainly, you know, we use our, our same skills that, we're, that we are used to using for analyzing big data sets. Uh, computers have advanced to a sufficient degree that that's not really a limitation. Um, but uh, there's a, it's a bit of a, it's a goldmine in terms of information um, into who is experiencing symptoms where and whether they've sought care for those symptoms. And then finally, if they've been tested for COVID-19. 
the uh, the, the history of this, you know, with a flu near you and now obviously uh, people see COVID near you and maybe we, I don't think people generally, uh, the public by and large pays a whole lot of attention uh, to some of this stuff. Maybe some people do, but not to the degree people are right now. But I think it's interesting, you know, to note there is, you know, a history, as you kind of note, of this type of method being used to get this information. So it's interesting that it can be applied for COVID-19. Yes, absolutely. So there's definitely a rich history of using uh, symptom surveillance information in uh, influenza. So in Canada, we have the Flu Watchers program that's run by Public Health Agency of Canada. So that's a handful of people. Well, it's not a handful, it's many people. Um, but uh, relative to the overall population, it's just a sample of Canadians that regularly report whether they're experiencing fever, cough, um, at weekly intervals throughout the flu season. And so that's another example where uh, using that information, we're able to see where we are in the flu season. Um, now, Public Health Agency of Canada as yet doesn't really have uh, a specific program that's similar to that for uh, COVID-19. And so it seemed like really um, an opportunity and, and basically a situation where, co- where COVID near you could be really helpful to help direct uh, Canadian public health efforts as well. Uh, when I, as you mentioned, when I reached out to you originally, this was um, uh, to talk about COVID uh, near you, uh, but also uh, you are involved in some research, uh, some polling that was done um, with uh, two uh, companies coming together uh, to do some polling. Uh, the poll found one fifth of households in Ontario are self-reporting uh, having symptoms. This came out just yesterday. Uh, that, uh, amongst other items, was uh, quite interesting from uh, some of this, uh, the, the results here. Yes, some really great findings, and uh, it was actually the, the polling organizations approached me. They had sort of formed their own consortium looking to contribute their unique skill set and, of course, uh, considerable infrastructure with the, all the stuff that they use for polling to, uh, to the COVID-19 cause, and I was happy to, to help, um, help them in those efforts. And, uh, yes, we did the findings, one out of five reporting some symptoms that could be consistent with covid um, it is important to note that many of the symptoms that we see commonly in COVID-19 can also be from other things. So, for example, headache was the most common symptom. Um, and, of course, new headaches, you know, that may be relating to other factors that are not necessarily COVID-19. But um, what is most striking is that even though one out of five households had somebody experiencing these new symptoms, only a tiny fraction of these had actually uh, had anybody in their house get tested. So only 5% of those same households uh, had received COVID-19 testing. So um, really the data sort of indicated that symptoms are quite widespread. Only a very small fraction of people with potential symptoms are accessing testing at this point. So really there's a lot of room to potentially increase the COVID-19 testing in uh, community dwelling people in Ontario. Is there a way to, or it may, may not be possible just based on how people answer this, but to, to determine whether people are under-reporting or over-reporting the symptoms they may feel based on maybe they're really anxious and say, I have these symptoms and say, oh, no, it's not an issue. I don't have, like, in terms of just determining um, how reliable some of these self-reporting is from those people, from people? Yeah, I mean, that's always a theoretical concern with any sort of self-reported information. Um, but I would say, you know, I'm also a physician, and as a clinician, it's the same phenomenon. So whether whether you're collecting data in a form like this versus, you know, clinicians asking patients, 
the same sorts of uh, biases exist even if you're asking a patient, you know, do you feel like you have shortness of breath? People who tend to be more anxious may say yes, and people who are less anxious may be more likely to say no. So um, it's sort of the same kind of uh, issues there. And and again, you know, we, we, we because COVID-19 is also new and there's been an explosion of research, but um, it hasn't, uh, obviously there hasn't been decades of research like there has been for influenza, for example. We know from studies looking at crowdsourced data and self-reporting of symptoms in influenza that that actually does track with what we see as far as emergency department visits and hospitalizations for flu. So it, there is some evidence that, you know, this is a valid me- method of measuring trends in uh, in influenza. And so we extrapolate from that that, you know, it's likely to be valid as well for for COVID-19. It is uh, really interesting uh, to see. I'm glad it's being done. The more information we have, uh, the better. Uh, certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That is uh, Dr. Lauren Lapointe-Shaw. And uh, yeah, the information that they are uh, gathering, you know, when we uh, have uh, maybe less uh, robust uh, testing being done in this province than other provinces, they are provinces, they are ramping it up, which is good. I mean, uh, to have this information uh, available uh, to us as well is, I think, uh, worthwhile. And uh, as, uh, as she was saying, Uh, There is, you know, a lot of uh, history in terms of these methods being used to gather this information. So um, it's I think it's just really interesting and something we will be uh, following uh, closely. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Minus six, uh, wet, cloudy, seen a lot of talk overturn how we could United States with the president going to be today. At in the best by which but in our home, hey everybody, I'm back. Uh, you know, there are some aspects of uh, working from home that I love such as being able to uh, roll out of bed and just, you know, walk a couple steps, do some show prep, walk a few more steps, go on air. Uh, The commute is fantastic. The uh, parts I hate are the, uh, some of the audio quality of time, which can't be helped. Uh, Just, uh, it drives me nuts. To the point where I'm, I'm considering uh, saying things on air that will lose us our, our license. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's not great. And so I apologize for any audio issues we may be having, uh, or if uh, I'm cutting in and out on you guys. Uh, we'll see if we can get them fixed uh, as best we can. But it's uh, not the ideal situation. And so it's kind of ironic 
talk about us reopening the country and things getting back to normal, we look to uh, the computer issues and issues um, that we're having with the, the audio quality because, uh, believe you me, I, I want things to be back to normal as, as soon as possible. Uh, one of the interesting parts of the whole conversation surrounding how we open up the country, when we open up the country, and when things loosen and when we re- loosen our restrictions is I just wonder, you, you, you got to do it slowly, I think. is, is That's what you hear from the experts. you got to do it slowly. But I just wonder how quickly people go back to their daily routine. And this is something we've, you know, talked about with very over the past couple of weeks. What in a posted world do, do trends emerge? Do people say it mean it but is the handshake really dead what changes on the flip side of this and that is if we're normal how quickly do people just relax in general just based on human nature where we are told you know to be extremely careful right now to self-isolate, to not uh, get together in groups. And by and large, people are doing that. There are some, you know, exceptions where people are not listening to that advice, obviously. But by and large, I think people are are getting the message and are doing it and are legitimately trying to self-isolate and to to quarantine and to not be together with people, not find loopholes. But I think it's just human nature just to, once those are those guidelines are relaxed, to us as human beings relax. And, like, I, I still can't not touch my face. I just can't stop it. It's too, I, I didn't know I was such a face toucher. And I just can't stop, you know, you scratch my nose doing everything. It just, it's, it's just uh, something I do, I guess. And so I wonder the relaxation of the guidelines, what impact that has to the overall effort to, uh, to quit this just because I don't want us to come out of the, out of all of this. And let's say, like, I think basically we're looking at at some point in June, maybe is when things really relax just based on what we're hearing from, you know, politicians and, and health leaders and everyone in terms of it being several more weeks in terms of what everything Everything has been postponed and can't. When we get of the guidelines. And so, what does that do? How do we handle that? And so, it's, it's going to be a while. It should be a while. Based on polls, there's a lot of people who support it being a while. They want this to be over with when we do relax. But I just wonder how it all shakes out and i don't want it all to be in vain i don't want us to be you know self-isolating for parts of march april may and let's just for argument's sake say you know three weeks in june just for argument's sake that's a lot of time for people to be having to do take out and deliver 
businesses to be making do. That's a lot of time for people to be at home. That's a lot of time to be outside of our normal way of life. It should not be in vain because I don't want to do it again. You know, like I'm done. Like I'm, I'm not done, but I'm, I don't want to do this again. So we got to, we got to be doing this together. So that's why whenever, you know, these sports leads talk about, you know, coming back, like now just stay away. Let's just be done. Let's just do this and be done with it. So it's important to talk about how we reopen the country. But I do wonder about the psychological impact it has on people and whether we relax and undo some of all the good work we are doing right now. My thanks to uh, Natalie Toman, to Elisa uh, Russell, to Andre Fournier, to Maria Jocic, uh, to Sarah Thorne, and to Dr. Lauren Lapointe Shaw for coming on the show today. Jacqueline Carbone is our content producer. Nick Van Overloop is our technical producer, and Steve Spruill is our engineer. Stay tuned for the Craig Needle Show coming up next, followed by London Live with Mike Stubbs and the Afternoon Show with Jess Brady. Have a great day. Stay safe. I hope your home computer is working better than mine. We'll be back in 21 hours.